All right, we're continuing our second week in our sermon series that's, that's titled Be Brave. We're week two of a four-week series, and I want to do something a little different to start us off this morning. I want to pull back the curtain a little bit and share a little more about the sort of vision for, for this this sermon series and this thing that you've seen in your bulletin now for a couple of weeks and you've heard an announcement about, about Big Weekend. And I want to explain a little bit about that first before we dive into our scripture passage for this morning. So right now, if, if, if you would indulge me, I'd like you to bow your head, close your eyes. I want you to hear this passage of scripture and not see it, not read it. I just want you to hear it from Acts chapter 2, verse 36 to 41. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted this message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. All right, you can come back with me now. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000, you know, um, you guys know this history a little bit better than me because many of you have been here longer. But for about the last couple years as a worshiping community, we've been around 2,000, 2,500 people. And this word for us is kind of inspiration for why we're doing what we're doing in this sermon series and why we're having this big weekend. And this number 3,000 is more than just a number. It represents life change. It represents the power of the Holy Spirit that, that in proclaiming God's word, that Jesus is Lord, our hearts can be cut in such a way that we can be so moved to completely go a different direction in our life. And it's this conviction, this simplicity of, of just sheer and, and audacious faith that's behind why we're doing what we're doing and why we're challenging ourselves to be brave and to be who God's called us to be and, and take some steps as a staff, as a community to do things God has called us to do and to take additional steps. And so the big weekend isn't, um, it's not meant to be a big mystery. We're not going to make some special announcement. We're not having a special schedule on the big weekend. The, the whole goal with the big weekend is we are doing all that we can to intentionally invite all that we can in our community who may be familiar faces and familiar with this place and some not so familiar with this place to reach new people and to get as many people here who are in need of a church home and don't have a church home on that weekend. And it's not just for this weekend. It's a, it's a goal that we're setting ourselves and a standard we're setting for ourselves. We're trying to raise the bar each and every week in all of our worship spaces, in all of our ministries and departments to give and just be more generous with, with the gifts that God's given us to give in all the ways. We just want to be more and more generous. And so that's what the big weekend is about. So I encourage you 
If you haven't already, to mark that on your calendar, we're going to talk next week a little bit more about that invitation piece and being brave in our relationships. But Be Brave is more than just this sermon series. It's really our theme for our entire fall as we're taking steps to grow as a community of faith, to grow deeply, to grow spiritually deep, and to grow as we understand reading scripture. A biblical church in a biblical faith means growing wide as well. That God will add to our numbers and we should have that expectation when we proceed throughout our day-to-day lives. So that's a little bit about why we're doing what we're doing. And we're excited about all the things that God has called us to do. And these sermon series for the fall are indicative of that. And some of the decisions we've made as a staff are indicative of that. Is, is, and, I, and this is just a personal plug in terms of some transition that we've made as, as we're bringing men's ministry, women's ministry, couples ministry, marriage ministry together with groups. That if you're not in a small group, if you're not part of a small group. I just encourage you, there's nothing better you could do for yourself, for your marriage than join a small group. And that may be as we talked about what what doing something hard might be for you. Maybe that's what you need to do and that's the next step you need to take is join a small group. But this this morning we're going to be in the book of Exodus. We're going to go back in time a little bit as we think about this lens of generosity. I want us to have that framework of generosity. And I do mean finances. I do mean resources. I do mean our time and the gifts that God gives us. Because what's special about this passage in Acts and Pentecost is something new happened here. And, and many of you who are parents of children get this. Like until you had kids or until, until you adopted a child, There's just a depth of love that you didn't have before that now you have after having kids. And there's just, we we talk about God's love for us and the word that we use is agape in the Greek and this all-consuming, sacrificial kind of love that God has for us that's just hard for us to understand as we see God gives his own son for us and that we start to get a glimpse of that when we have children and when we adopt children and we're responsible in that way, there's a depth that changes. Like there's just a threshold that we cross, that our reality was completely different in a way. And there's a depth to love that we have. And in a similar way, there's the world before Pentecost and there's the world after Pentecost. That because Jesus is Lord, Because he got up out of the grave and he promised the Holy Spirit, he said, I'm going away, but even though I'm going away, I'm sending another who's not me, but who is like me, who through the Father and the Son is sent, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the Advocate comes and is now available to the church and is accessible. And there's a power and a truth that we have that's at our disposal that is different before Pentecost. And what strikes me about this passage, that, that there's people still that God will call. God still has people to call. And we often think in getting, in getting stuck in this conversation of many of us in this room have said yes to God and surrendered our lives to Christ. And then we choose to say no in other instances in our life. And that's what this whole sermon series is about, is is pushing us to take another step. And one of the ways we're going to talk about this today and why our framework is generosity is sometimes we say no to God in our 
generosity. But as God desires to call new people, we often think, you know, there's someone else who's going to do what I'm unwilling to do. And yet, because God is continuing to call new people, and many of you he called a long time ago, you are uniquely called and equipped to do something that no one else can do. We often think that someone else can do it. But I, I firmly believe that you are called to do something that no one else can do. And that your life, your response to God's grace, your actions, your words, there's just people you're going to influence that no one else can get to. No one else can get to them the way you can. And that's a mystery because you don't think you're very qualified to do it. <laughs> We're going to get into Moses' story. And Moses' first question to God is, who am I? Who am I that you're asking me to do this? And some of us have that question. And if we get nothing else from this morning, it's just I want us to understand and embrace that there really is this calling that God has placed upon our life that he's called you and me to do something that no one else can quite do. There's gonna be people that we influence and touch that, that they're not gonna listen to anyone else. They're not gonna see grace in any other place. And so with this framework of generosity, we're gonna go back in time. As we spent some time last week talking about this transition in leadership, leadership from Moses to Joshua. And God in his wisdom tells, tells Joshua something he already knew, that Moses, my servant, is dead. And we talked about what that might mean, that it's challenging to Joshua not to look behind him, to look to the past, because the past isn't going to be repeated. There's a new promise, there's a new future that God has for Joshua to step into. And Joshua shouldn't sit on his hands, he shouldn't wait for someone else to step up in leadership. And for you, for me, it might be the same question for us. Maybe it's time for us to lead in a way that was someone else's responsibility. <laughs> and so we, we talked about that, and I asked anyone that was here last week, and if you were in the sanctuary, you heard this from Pastor David too, to do something hard. So did you do something hard last week? I asked everybody here not to, you didn't get to decide for yourself, but to have your spouse or your parent or your, a significant relationship in your life to challenge you to do something hard. And Lindsay Kay and I did our best. We, we more or less kind of did it. We sort of fizzled a little bit on Friday. <laughs> and so challenging ourselves to do something hard, to be brave and courageous. This core value that we've been lifting up in this series is everyone has a next step. And that was what we lifted up last week. And so today, I want this framing idea to be to frame our conversation on generosity and exploring the beginning of Exodus. This is God's world. This is God's world. We didn't deserve this life. We weren't we didn't do anything to earn this life. Everything, for those of us who confess Jesus Christ as Lord, we also believe that we live in a world that we did not make. We live in a life that, that we, did, we did nothing to earn and come into this world. This is God's world that we live in and everything belongs to him. Are we investing our money, our time, our energy, our resources in eternity? Or are we investing most of our lives in things that are temporary? So, with that being said, we're going back in time to the very beginning of Exodus. And for many of us, we've seen a lot of movies of Moses' story. 
We know how this begins. The beginning of Exodus starts with this retelling of the generations of the family of Jacob. And for those of you who don't know the Cliff Notes version, Jacob has a lot of kids and one of his younger kids is named Joseph. And there's going to be, I know, another sermon series in our future where we can really dive deep into Joseph's life because there's, there's a lot of important lessons there for us. But Joseph ends up in Egypt and he ends up with the name of Joseph at the end of his life. Joseph has been very successful and there's royal power with Joseph's name because he's been able to secure a position in a place of security, not only for himself, but for his family in Egypt as refugees, as, as Israelites sought to go to Egypt in the midst of a famine. They went to Egypt so that they could live, so that they could eat. And because of Joseph's leadership, they were able to do that. He was smart in making reserves, food storage, so that when famine came, everybody had enough to eat, not only the Egyptians, but some of the surrounding nations. But now, nobody lives forever. Joseph dies, and now the king of Egypt, the new Pharaoh, has no regard for Joseph's name. Joseph's name means nothing to the new king of Egypt. And now the Israelites, as they have multiplied and they've spread, they've become a significant part of the population. And the king of Egypt sees them as a threat because if this king and if Egypt gets into conflict with another nation, this entire population could easily be the tipping point for defeating Egypt. And so in a remarkable, shocking turn of events, the Israelites go from this protected status and this secure status to all of a sudden now they have slaveholders over them and they are forced to do labor. And they are forced now in an ironic turn of events to build cities that are storehouses for Egypt. So they go from this position of security and having a surplus to now being in slavery and facing scarcity. They're oppressed and turned into slaves and forced to build these cities that are storehouses. And it's a twisted and shocking turn of events. And we're reminded just like that for us, our lives can be the same. We can go from being relatively comfortable in our life and our incomes and our savings and our circumstance and then just like that, our world can turn upside down just like the Israelites. It happened for the Israelites. And then with, it can be medical costs and paying for a surgery. It could be 2008 and 2009 and the mortgage crisis. Just like that, we find ourselves in a completely different situation and we're not equipped to deal with it. We don't know how to deal with it. For many of us, maybe we've never experienced that. We've been financially stable or our life is just a constant roller coaster of having what we wish we had and then we don't have it and it's just a roller coaster. Whatever it is, if we feel like our situation is healthy and stable or unhealthy, many of us, when it comes to our lives and all that we've received and living in God's world and receiving, regardless of what our circumstance and situation is, all the gifts that God has given us, we find ourselves saying no to God when it comes to giving back to what he has given us. And for some of us, we try to separate our material, our material life from our spiritual life, and we can't do it as everything. God's given us everything. Everything is spiritual. For many of us, we invest in our, our own kingdom. We invest in the kingdoms of this world over and above the kingdom of God. We invest 
in temporary things and not eternal things. And we're in good company today. We're in good company today because we're gonna, we're gonna look at one of the most prominent leaders in, in Israel's history and one of the most amazing leaders in all of scripture and he's gonna say no too. He's gonna say no to the, and not be generous the way he's called to be generous. And I think for many of us, many of us have never been taught how to give. We don't know how. We don't know where to start. And our life situation and our life circumstance is such that it's like, I can barely save anything, yet how am I supposed to give? And one question I have for us to think about is what does, for those of us who confess Jesus as Lord, who live in God's world, who understand the abundance, regardless of our situation, whether we're feeling good about it or not feeling good about it, what does not giving say about us? If we believe we live in God's world and everything that we've received is a gift, what does refusing to give what does not giving say about us? And by giving, I mean a, a sincere intention of the heart. I don't mean obligation. <laughs> I don't mean basic responsibility. And some of us are like, well, you know, I, I meet my responsibility. That's not what I mean by generosity. By generosity, I'm talking about this decision and intention of the heart to intentionally give back to God of our time, of our resources, because it's in response and in acknowledgement of, of worship and praise and all that God has given us. So here's something crucial for us to understand at the beginning of the book of Exodus. In Exodus chapter one, verses 12 to 13, right after we're introduced and we shift and right before we start to get introduced to Moses, Scripture says this, as the Israelites are in slavery, they're in this terrible situation, but the more they were oppressed, the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. The more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. The more they were struck down, the more their life was hard, the more that was taken from them, the more that was stolen, the more that they were crushed, God continued even in the midst of this. No state decree, nothing that the nation of Egypt could do, nothing that the king of Egypt could decide and say, no power of this world could stop the blessing upon God in the midst of this circumstance that even in this crushing, and we lift up these times in the church's history when the church has been crushed, the church has been crushed and persecuted and yet in those times in our history, whether it's the early church or even in modern history and in, in, in around the world and where the church is persecuted, we often find that that's where God is continuing to grow the church and the church is growing and multiplying in the midst of terrible circumstances and that in the midst of this kind of crushing and persecution that God's people endures, the enemies of God and the oppressors come to know who God is. They don't often all turn in faith and believe and surrender like we saw in the book of Jonah, the response of the city of Nineveh, but so often the enemies of God and these people who are oppressing God's people come to know really quick and eventually all of us will know that God is alive, that God is real, that there is a reckoning for us all. The, feet, the thief on the cross and the Roman centurion all in the midst right next to Jesus being crushed, they look at him and they see him. Oh, 
he, he was who he said he was, that he is who he says he is. And a promise for us, I think, to cling to is that sometimes when we feel crushed in life and we can't catch a break, if we would just hold on to faith when our life seems to be falling apart and we, don't, we feel like we don't have anything to give, when we feel crushed, if we just hold on in faith, the miraculous thing is God uses us. He magnifies our story in that period. He magnifies our story in that season for his glory, even when we're crushed and persecuted. The Israelites multiply and spread. God is generous, generous with us, even when we feel like our lives are being crushed. The king of Egypt tries to escalate matters. So he, he does this forced labor, and then he takes it a step further, and he goes to the midwives, and he tries to have the midwives intercede and kill, be responsible for the killing of baby boys. But see, these midwives fear God and they don't do it. And God shows kindness to the midwives. And so it leads Pharaoh to ultimately make that decree across the entire nation that every boy born, every boy born is to be thrown into the Nile. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. And this act and this posture in the story, I think often gets overlooked. And, and we rush to the plagues and we rush to the freedom of the Israelites. But yet, I just want to lift up this posture of Moses' mom and dad. That here, their response is to not be afraid. It's to not follow what the king has said. It's to protect their son. And, and they wait until they know that if they wait anymore, more than their own family could, could die. And she makes this basket and she puts her son in the basket. She puts her son in the basket and gives her son to God and pushes the basket through the Nile River. And I just want to pause there for us as this is a figurative question. We, we don't have baskets in our life and we're not retaking offerings, so offerings already done. We're not passing the basket again. But, but in your life, what are you putting in the basket and giving to God? What are you putting in this basket and letting go of and giving to God? And I have to confess something to you. You know, control over finances as we think about generosity and, and all the aspects of what it means to be generous. I struggle with giving that over to God. Like I, I obsess over, over the budget and making sure everything fits. And sometimes, sometimes in my weakness, I forget who's in control of my life. Are we putting control in the basket that we've tried and tried to pretend is ours? We know it isn't. We, we, we know we don't have control. We know our days are numbered. We are not promised tomorrow. And yet so much so much of our lives, we try to cling to control. 
whether it's our finances, it's our time. Are you putting, are you putting some of the extracurriculars in the basket so that you can devote more time to God and to your family? Some of you that are working 60-hour weeks and you've, you've just one thing to the next and you don't have time to breathe and so the question about being generous with your time, with your money, with your resources, it's just you're lost in that. What are you putting in the basket and letting go of? The, Moses' parents are not afraid. They're not afraid, as Hebrews tells us, by faith Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. And without fear, what are we surrendering? What are we giving to God? And have we been insulated so much in our life that what we've given as far as resources doesn't really affect us? Because if what we give doesn't really affect us, if it isn't a matter of the heart, if it isn't an act of worship, if, if, it doesn't, if it isn't hard, is it true generosity? Moses is found and raised by Pharaoh's daughter. He grows up in Egypt, but still, you know, unlike the movies, the movies... You know, I think, whether it's Prince of Egypt or Cecil B. DeMille's, the Ten Commandments, there's, when you read scripture, Moses still, still has, has this connection to who he's from and to the place and the people that he's from. We don't get this sense, like in some of the movies, that he really does kind of forget and just kind of stumbles into his identity as, as a Hebrew, being part of the Hebrew people. But no, Moses, even though he's raised in Egypt, still has this connection and he's out working and sees the oppression. He sees one of the slave masters just having his way with one of the Hebrews and he looks both ways in his anger. He kills the Egyptian and tries to hide him in the sand and hopes no one sees. But then he finds out the next day that word is out and the, and the Pharaoh is after him and he escapes before he himself is killed and he leaves he goes to this land of Midian and he really lives another life he takes up a new occupation he marries he has a kid we don't know how much time passes but a lot of time passes as he's a shepherd and we pick up in Exodus chapter 3 now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro his father-in-law the priest of Midian and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb the mountain of God there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Notice when Moses hides his face, it isn't when he sees the bush it isn't when he hears his name even. He hides his face when he hears God say his name, the power of the name of God, that there's no other name under heaven and on earth, that at the mention of his name, every knee should bow, every tongue
tongue could confess. Moses isn't scared and doesn't tremble until he hears God's name. And before we hear God's name being connected to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, God says, I'm the God of your father. I'm the God of the father you never knew. You didn't get to grow up to know your father, but I am the God of your father. I have known you for a long time. I have plans for you. And God begins to explain the plans that he has for Moses. And as he explains that he wants Moses to be this deliverer, Moses says, who am I? Who am I? Moses starts to do what we do and he, the excuses begin because he has direct experience of seeing the oppression of his people, of being connected to it. It's, he, he responded in anger and took someone's life. Moses knows better than anyone how oppressed the Israelites are. And yet Moses says, who am I? I, you know, I, I don't have the qualifications. I don't really know my family. Who am I? And God responds, I will be with you. And as a sign to you, you will worship me and the people will worship me on this very mountain that we're having this conversation. And so Moses says, well, I don't even know your name. Who, who, I, 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 don't, I, I, don't, I don't know your name. Who do I say sends me if they ask and God says, I am who I am. I am the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this is my name forever, for every generation. And, and that still isn't enough for Moses. It's like, well, what if they don't believe me? I mean, many of us, when given a task like this, I think it's reasonable. I, I kind of sympathize with Moses here. Like, what if they don't believe me? Like, what if they just say, nope, don't believe you whatsoever? God says, these will be some signs. These will cause the Egyptians to pay attention. He says, take the staff and throw it down and it turns into a snake. And then, and take your hand, if they don't believe you, take your hand, put it, put it in your coat and look at it and it becomes leprous and white and then he puts it back and it's healed. And, he, and even then, if they don't, the water into blood. There's all these signs that God has promised that he will show the, the Egyptians and Pharaoh and I mean, I don't know about you, but for me, that I mean, I'd feel pretty good. I feel pretty secure and certain that what I'm called to do, I'm, I'm going to have some success in doing. But that isn't enough. That isn't enough for Moses. Then Moses says, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't speak so good. I'm a slow speaker. I can't, I can't speak to him. I can't say, they're, they're, I can't. And God says, I gave you your mouth. I'm going to give you the words. I'm going to be with you. I'll tell you what to say. And then Moses says what you and I really at the bottom of it all, at the end of all the excuses, all the excuses are to say, please choose someone else. That's ultimately what Moses says to God. Please choose someone else. And even for us, even for many of us who have said, who have said yes to God, who have committed to follow God, we've chosen throughout our life to plug up our ears, to shut our eyes. We've said no. And when it comes to being generous, many of us have said no. And we're in good company because Moses, Moses has done all that he could here to say no, to, to have someone else go and do this. And for many of us, when it comes to being generous, it's just the life that we've led. We've worked too hard for what we've gained. We, we don't want to give it up. 
We've earned our station. We've earned our position. Many of us have been insulated to the point where, you know, what we give is spare change. And spare change for some of us may be change. Spare change for some of us may be a significant sum of money. But for many of us, it's just we've been insulated and comfortable in life and we've just said no. We just don't want to give. And what God is asking of us, what God, what God is asking of us for us to respond in, in, respond in, an, in an act of worship each and every day with our time that those of us who have given 60 hours of, of our week to our work and we just every other second of our schedule is done with extracurriculars and all these things for us to for us to step back and realize that we can't control our life. We can't manipulate time. That this world isn't ours. It is a gift. Our lives are a gift. And God wants us to respond in an act of worship, to give in, in a way that is joyful, in a way that's difficult, in a way that's hard. Because the, the exact amount and, and the way in which we give, the number doesn't, doesn't really matter because God doesn't need our money. God doesn't need us when it comes right down to it. But God has chosen us. He's chosen each and every one of us to build his kingdom to come alongside him and push back the darkness. And he has said that he's with us. He said, he said, we, we see the fight from the victory. The war is won. And so our challenge, our challenge this morning is to say yes to God to give. And our challenge this morning is to give in ways that we may have not been comfortable giving before. And that may be saying no to many things in our life that we've said yes to so that we can have more time with our family, so we can have more time to devote to God. For many of us, we, we, just, we just have to, it's this burning bush experience, right, for Moses. Like that's really who God is calling us to be. God isn't in this moment, in this particular episode of Moses' life. Moses isn't lifted up as a prime example of how we're called to respond to God. He eventually gets there. He eventually goes. And God works with him and accommodates and sends this guy, Aaron, who wasn't supposed to go with Moses, but who goes and helps Moses speak. And Moses finally gets the courage to go. And he, he responds to what he's, what he's supposed to do. But for us in this moment, we're called to be this burning bush. We're called to be this light that's on fire. We're given passions and gifts and desires to speak the truth in love and to serve in ways that draw people in. <laughs> that your beautiful life and the way in which you serve one another draws people in and compels people to come to and to listen and to sit down and to pay attention without burning up and without burning out. Because the source, the source of our call, the source of our life is a God who is from everlasting to everlasting. So we're called to be a burning bush in the world. We're called to be generous. Hard giving is faithful giving. 
Hard giving is worship. If it's easy, if it's just spare change, if the decision you make is just, it's nothing, then, then that isn't real worship. That isn't generosity. So I, I'm gonna challenge us this week. As we lift up this core value, everyone has a next step. And I know in the short time that I've been here, this is a generous church. That just in last year, I mean, the stories, we've been telling these stories throughout, throughout the last several months, and we've collected some of these stories. And just a snapshot, because of your generosity, like our special needs ministry across the board is at 50% from last year. Like because of your generosity, over 700 kids came to VBC and there were over 400 volunteers. I mean, it's insane. Because of your generosity, we've embarked on a capital campaign that's, that's bigger than anything this church has ever done again. So we can continue to tell the story of Christ and his goodness and, and, and spread his kingdom. We're trying, because of your generosity, continue to invest in eternity, invest in the kingdom of God, invest in things that last, not in things that are temporary. Because of your generosity, over 600 people found their way into a small group last year and 20 new small groups were formed last year. I mean, that's just, we're just scratching the surface. So I know I'm speaking in the midst of a very, very, very generous people. But as generous as we are, we are all called to grow. We're all called to take an extra step. And so for us this week, May this be our prayer. God, how can I invest more in your kingdom and less in mine? Holy God, how can I invest more in your kingdom and less in mine? Not for us, but to the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus Christ Every knee should bow, every tongue should confess. There are people that God is still calling. And there are people who won't see the light, who won't be influenced unless you're faithful, unless I'm faithful. Will you pray with me? God, when it comes to generosity, we confess that we often say no. We wanna stay inside, we wanna stay comfortable, we wanna insulate ourselves from all the things that could go wrong in the world because we, we know every news cycle reminds us that life is short, that creation groans and is broken and is full of violence, God. And so some of our reaction is to just try to protect what we have. But God, all that's gonna be burned away. We don't get to keep any of this with us. So Lord, help us invest in eternity. Help us invest in your kingdom and help us understand what step you're calling each and every one of us to take. Whether it's to say no so we can say yes to spending more time with you and more time with our family, more time building important relationships so we can serve your people. God, if we've said no to you with our finances, give us, the, give us the courage to say yes and to start giving. And God, help us 
understand the step that you've called each and every one of us to take, to be your generous people, so that we give as an act of worship, so that we give joyfully and extravagantly. As we remember now how you've been so generous with us, and now we remember on the night that Christ gave himself up for us, he took bread and he gave thanks to the Father and he broke the bread and there in the midst of his disciples in the upper room, Christ said, this is my body broken and given for you. And when the supper was over, he took the cup and Jesus gave thanks to the Father and he gave it again to his disciples and said, drink of this all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let us continue to pray. Holy God, pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and juice. Make them be for us the body of Christ that we may be for the world the body of Christ, cleansed and redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, Lord, make us one. Make us one with Christ. Make us one with each other. Make us one in ministry to the whole world until the great and glorious day comes where we feast together at your heavenly table. We ask all this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I want to invite them.